Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, India's surge of COVID infections has overwhelmed both hospitals with beds and oxygen in short supply and crematoriums. Yesterday, the nation reached the grim milestone of 20 million cases since the start of the pandemic, and reports of more cases are coming from rural villages. We get the latest. Then journalist Connie Walker has covered the cases of missing and murdered indigenous women, most recently in the podcast Stolen, which investigates the disappearance of 23-year-old Jermaine Charlot. We learn more. Forum is next. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Official figures find that India has gone from averaging 65,000 coronavirus cases a month ago to nearly 400,000 today. Deaths per day are now averaging more than 3,000. Yet as grim as these numbers are, they're believed to be an undercount. Crematoriums are overwhelmed. Social media feeds have been filled with urgent requests from families for oxygen for sick loved ones and other forms of aid. We're joined now by Hari Kumar, reporter in the New Delhi Bureau for the New York Times. Hari Kumar, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much. Also with us is Dr. Prabhat Jha, professor of global health at the University of Toronto and scientist with the Center for Global Health Research at Unity Health Toronto. Dr. Jha, thanks for joining us as well. Happy to join. Hari Kumar, I'd like to start with you and thank you for joining us so late there. I want to start just by asking, how are you? How is your family handling all of this? Well, as of now, we are fine. And we are four of us, me, my wife, and two of my sons. And uh, me and my two sons, we had the, we were the COVID positive last year. My elder son was COVID positive in September. And me and my younger son was positive. We were positive in uh, December. Mm-hmm. And we recovered easily, no problem. But uh, nowadays, I mean, every known family, every neighbor, every relative, somebody or the other is sick. You, you hear every day 
and people are dying every day we hear two three deaths of known people or neighbors or relatives or some family or friends etc so it's really really a bad situation and there's a situation of helplessness situation of frustration anxiety levels are really high and uh, people do not know where it will end so we are in a kind of helplessness situation a helplessness situation wow and everybody's lives have been touched how are you able to even do your reporting hari kumar well we do our reporting by and large on telephone but sure that we are not going out out of our home for last 15 days and uh, so we have our sources and we see the videos and we talk to the people we go to the different states on phone so through phone we do all our work and uh, so far we are surviving as far as work is concerned you are surviving uh, dr prabhatcha could you give us some sense of how things got so bad in india what are some of the key things that you see as being the reasons behind it well unfortunately india got a perfect storm combining a really uh, much more infectious uh, strain or variant of the virus paired with political complacency and some would say incompetence uh, paired with uh, a scientific uh, i would say arrogance that perhaps uh, the big wave of infections in the first viral wave that hari alluded to in september was enough to immunize the population so many people are going around and saying oh india's uh, come out of this we got naturally vaccinated we have herd immunity um and that was a really unfortunate mistake um some of the scientists uh, including myself were saying that was Uh, basically wishful thinking uh, and we showed data that uh, already was showing that there was not to be herd immunity but that was mostly ignored by the politicians and then but it had india had bad luck also that uh, the variants which are more infectious and strike younger people seem to be responsible for much of the uptake uptick now and you pair that with a chronically underfunded healthcare system india spends only 1% of its wealth on the public uh, spending on health and uh, hospitals were well short of the ability to be able to cope with the deluge so all of that combined uh, it certainly wasn't helped by political rallies or religious meetings or or even weddings you know my my cousin uh, got infected in a uh, in a wedding in november and but decided oh it was fine in february his he got his son married and went ahead with a reasonably large wedding in february so i think all of these have contributed to just what is uh, a just a terrible and probably avoidable catastrophe hari kumar we've been hearing about family members filling social media feeds with requests for oxygen because supplies at hospitals have run low of course we've been hearing that there aren't enough beds at hospitals as well has that situation eased at all or is that still very much the case in many parts of india that is still very much the case in all parts of india everybody is fighting for the hospital beds for the oxygenated beds for the icu beds for the ventilators so oxygen oxygen is the most precious commodity today everything related to the oxygen even oximeters oxygen concentrators oxygen oxygen cylinders everything related to the oxygen is very much in uh, 
in in in, in short of uh, short of uh, requirement and everybody is studying people are paying for to normally which is uh, available in about 50 50 dollars people are paying 500 dollars 1000 dollars for for that uh, oxygen 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 these oxy oxy concentrators are very much in demand and the prices have gone up to three times four times so bed and oxygen is really really in, in in big demand in india and every hospital every town every city is short of these these commodities And now we are hearing that uh, there are continued reports coming out of rural areas of more and more cases. Can you tell us what this what this means in terms of the trajectory of this crisis that you're hearing about these growing numbers from rural areas, Hari Kumar? Well, as far as the rural areas are concerned, so India is still is sixty to sixty-five percent Indian population lives in the countryside, and and those people live in the villages, and there are no 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 health facilities, no testing facilities. So I do not know whether the officially the numbers will go up or not because those people are not getting tested, and those people are not getting admitted to the hospital, and those people are not dying in the hospital, so hospital will not certify their death as the COVID-related death. But what we are hearing from the villages is that more and more. More number of people are getting sick, and more and more number of people are getting uh, are, are dying, and that's happening more and more in the northern Indian states of like Uttar Pradesh, like Madhya Pradesh, like Chhattisgarh, like Bihar. For example, the UP, the the, the largest state which has a two hundred million people, they had the local village level elections very soon, and many experts said, many experts said that please postpone these elections; they will spread the infection. And nobody listened to them, and those elections were conducted. And now more and more news are coming from UP's villages that this person is died. This village, very very just before your program, I was seeing a small video that on the roadside. one after the other the patients were lying and they and they uh, put up the glucose bottles on 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 the trees and they were giving them the glucose or some kind of medicine and the rows after rows after rows that was a village somewhere in the more district of uh, madhya pradesh so that kind of scene we are started seeing similarly there is a program in uh, on a television in in a, from a village in up and and then the similar kind of stories were hearing after the election so 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 it's it's going mm. to be very dramatic uh, situation in coming days and weeks but nobody knows whether what will be the story related to the official numbers because i am not sure whether those people will be counted or not counted right and and dr ja as we're hearing about what what hari kumar is saying coming from rural areas the videos he's seen and so on i mean what does this tell you about the scope of this crisis and whether or not there have been some there have been some suggestions that uh that the numbers are starting to slow or that that india has reached its peak what do you think i'm glad you raised the problem of what's happening in the rural areas because effectively everyone is swimming in the dark in terms of what's going on in the rural areas um we just do not have sufficient information the testing is limited the uh mortality which is a very effective way of knowing how many uh, what what is happening with the epidemic is very uncertain because most deaths uh, seven out of the 10 million deaths that occur in india are in rural areas and they mostly are uh, cremated or buried without any kind of official government report or death certificate so you just don't know so now because of this in the past 
we had worked with the Registrar General of India who have a system where they basically take a random snapshot of Indian villages, 1% of Indian villages, and they send teams every six months to monitor births and deaths. And if a death occurs, they fill out a, what's called a verbal autopsy form. Uh, so this system called the Million Death Study was in place till 2014, but the Indian government hasn't put it back in, um, in since. And it's urgently needed because we do think that urban, that the rural deaths this time are greater. Now, why are they greater? Well, there's a very simple explanation. When the first lockdown occurred in April, you remember the prime minister gave the country four hours notice and the country went into lockdown. And what happened? Well, men, particularly men in the cities uh, were kicked out of their apartments and had to go to their villages, including my programmer who was, you know, he's got a job with us. He's in Bangalore, but his landlord kicked him out and he went to his village in Andhra Pradesh. Now, at that time, even the villages were under lockdown. So if the man was infected in the urban areas, they would have gone back and perhaps only infected in their house. Now, this time, there is no lockdown in the village. And many uh, villages are fleeing the urban areas of their own volition. But under a no lockdown situation, if they're carrying infection, which almost they certainly are, they're going to spread it much more widely. So you take that plus a more infectious variant, and I would not be surprised if we had a colossal increase in the short term in death rates in rural India. But that simply is not measured. And this is one of the things we've been arguing uh, needs to be done is to restart the Registrar General's work so you have an accurate picture of what's happening with deaths in rural areas. We're talking with Dr. Prabhat Jha, Professor of Global Health at the University of Toronto. We're also talking with Hari Kumar, a reporter in the New Delhi Bureau for the New York Times. And you, our listeners, are with us. We're talking about the COVID crisis in India. What questions do you have about what's happening there? How have you, your family, or friends in India been affected by this crisis? What do you think the U.S. should be doing to respond? Give us a call at 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter or Facebook with your thoughts at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. We'll have more after the break. I'm Mina Kim. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. In January, Prime Minister Narendra Modi declared India, quote, saved humanity from a big disaster by containing corona effectively. Now India is contending with the worst coronavirus outbreak in the world at the moment, with death figures officially going well past 200,000, though believed to be an undercount. I'm joined by Dr. Prabhat Jha, Professor of Global Health at the University of Toronto, and Hari Kumar, 
a reporter in the New Delhi Bureau for the New York Times. You, our listeners, are with us. Please share with us if you'd like how you've been affected by this or family and friends in India. Also, let us know what questions you have about what's happening there for our guests or what you think that the U.S. needs to be doing. And uh, I want to read actually a couple of tweets by Hari Kumar that I thought were so telling. Uh, Hari Kumar, you tweeted, India was under nationwide lockdown when it was not needed. India is not under nationwide lockdown when it is needed. You also tweeted, India's the world's largest manufacturer of vaccines, launched the world's largest vaccination program, but it's short of vaccines. Uh, I think this speaks to what you were saying earlier, Hari Kumar, about this sense of of helplessness. Uh, what is the government doing right now? Are they responding in a way that you think is proportionate to the crisis at hand? The government is struggling and uh, they are trying to put their act together, but they are not able to do that. So even, even whatever the aids in recent days came from Western countries and many other countries, they are not uh, effectively able to distribute that aid very quickly. I mean, there were time gaps, there were lags, etc., etc. And I think the more cause of worry is that India's delayed vaccination program. So far, India has affected only 162 million of vaccination doses, right? Mm. Out of them, only only 31.4 million people are given two doses and 130 million people are given only one dose. So which means that 3% of the population is giving second dose and only 13% is giving only first dose. Now, if you go by that rate, and India need to at least vaccinate to 1,000 million people. And 1,000 million people, you need to give two, do two doses to them. And now, if so far you are only able to administer uh, the 162 million doses in last uh, more than nine, last nearly 100 days. Now one can one can imagine that uh, how much time you need. You need years and years. And 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 who will going to wait? So it will create a kind of a. It would create a kind of vaccine inequality in India. The, I mean, there'll be one set of population which is vaccinated and another set of population which is not vaccinated, right? Secondly, the kind of policy which they came up, for example, they have created a kind of differential price for the vaccination. So central government will pay one price, state government will pay one price, and private sector will pay another price. And it is it is it is least for the central government and maximum for the private sector private sector hospital. Now this is something very ridiculous. And such and, and in such kind of state where you need to vaccinate the masses, you are not supposed to come up with the differential prices and uh, and and uh, the, the, this kind of situation. So so India's vaccination program is not in good shape. They are short of vaccine policy is not very transparent and, and then things are not lined up. Dr. Prabhaja, what would you add to what Hari Kumar is saying about the vaccination program for a nation that is manufacturing so many vaccines and yet uh, this whole process has been, it, it's being rolled out in a way that Hari Kumar clearly uh, is, is showing is problematic as well as the fact that, uh, you know, they were in a position to vaccinate so many of their citizens. That's right. I think uh, it's important not to be paisa wise and rupee foolish. Vaccines need to be free at every level. And the Indian government, I think, has no choice but to move to trying to use even the first dose of vaccine in hotspots and in the highest risk areas. But for that, it would need to release a vast amount of data that it's collect, but it's it's very much hidden because they're worried that, oh, people will use it inappropriately. 
uh, every person in India that gets a vaccine has their effectively the equivalent of a social insurance number recorded. So you would know now the age, sex, education level, and the area of every person getting a vaccine. And releasing that and releasing the same information on testing would give you a roadmap of how to pick the hotspots. This is what Canada had to do. We had a short supply. So we said, we're gonna to go to the hotspot areas, but we could do so because we had data that was disaggregated. So I think that's certainly what the Indian government would do. But we know, and I'm glad you mentioned this, what could the US do? It's a very simple proposition. The world cannot return to any normalcy until everyone in the world is vaccinated. We'd all know that now. So what we need to be thinking about is what do we do really on a war footing? What I would like to see is President Biden talk to the big manufacturers uh, of biologics, in, including in San Francisco, Genentech, for example. There is enough bioreactor capacity, that's what it's called, these things that make the vaccines, in the Genentech offices or in the plants in California, that if they were to do what was done in World War II is when General Motors and others just produced torpedoes. And, uh, but if they were just to focus on vaccines, this was a worldwide effort, you would have potentially enough to vaccinate the world quickly. So it needs a global solution. And it's absolutely simple. The vaccines have to be free for everyone in the world. Uh, now that might sound idealistic, but it's very simple. We're, we're dealing with a $6 trillion dollar loss globally from the pandemic and countless uh, amount of suffering. If we have to spend $100 billion on this solution, that's still a bargain. Mm. So I absolutely think we, we're thinking at the wrong scale here. I, I think Indian government needs to prioritize what it can do, and but I'm hoping President Biden will very much say the U.S. has to come to uh, the global rescue and effectively its own rescue. There's just You can't imagine the U.S. Yes. vaccinate itself and say, oh, we're all fine. It means no travel, uh, no seeing family, reduced businesses, and eventually a poorer U.S. Let me go to caller Tariq in Union City. Hi, Tariq. Uh, well, while we try to get Tariq back on the line, oh, let me see if I can go next to Abik in San Jose. Hi, Abik. Uh, hi. Hi. What would you like to share with us? Um, so this has been an experience uh, that uh, is very personal because my dad has been, so my, I lost my mom last year and my dad um, just before the pandemic. And so um, he has been under lockdown by himself. Uh, and uh, living in India as an elderly uh, just by himself is very, very uh, tricky and very difficult um, uh, given the scenario that things that you have to do, people are kind of dependent on people coming in and into your house um, uh, to do the daily chores. And, um, and that um, a lot of people I know that who have contracted um, uh, the COVID through that uh, you know, the, 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 the way uh, people have been living over there. And so yes. our plan was to get him. So our plan was uh, to get him over here uh, to U.S. once he gets fully vaccinated. 
And uh, we actually first, since we didn't know whether vaccinations are coming out, he was supposed to come in March. Then uh, we figured out that, oh, there's AstraZeneca coming out. We'll go ahead and get him vaccinated. And so the first shot came in. We postponed it to, uh, they was postponed his arrival into April. And then uh, again, um, uh, the AstraZeneca came out with this uh, number of weeks that you have to wait. And so we postponed it again for another month. And he was supposed to come in mid-May. He got his first shot. He had his 14 days finish on May 1st. And uh, the Biden government uh, uh, imposed this rule. Uh, and so now if uh, the EU is allowing uh, the U.S. Um, uh, citizens to come in who are fully vaccinated, I was wondering whether Biden administration is going to have a similar uh, take on uh, Indian citizens. Yes, I um, well, first of all, I am so sorry to hear about all the things that you are going through. It must be incredibly difficult to be so far away from your dad right now. Yes, it, it certainly is. And uh, we were not able to go back in. Uh, we, I am supposed to get my second shot today. And so, um, yeah, at least I'm fortunate that we are all in my family are kind of uh, have gotten vaccinated. And and you're talking about the fact that there have been a, there's a ban on certain travelers from India at this time, just taking effect, I believe, today. Um, it was announced earlier. Hari Kumar, what was the reaction to that in India? Biden's uh, about, the, yes. about the travel ban. Yes. Well, uh, tra travel ban is all already put by most of the countries. It was only some very limited, uh, limited travel opportunities were available. But everybody was expecting that in this yeah. situation, nobody, nobody will welcome any Indian. I mean, as in such a situation, nobody will welcome uh, travelers from that region to their, their 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 part of the world. So it was very much expected, and people accepted it. I see. Let me go to Kavita now in San Jose. Hi, Kavita. Hi, thank you for this uh, show. And uh, I had a question uh, for Dr. Jha or Mr. Hari Kumar. Um, I personally have been affected. It's kind of hit close to home because I lost, uh, just in the past uh, week, about three members of my family, one of the immediate family and also extended family. And it's just, uh, it's really shocking uh, the way this whole situation has unfolded. Uh, but at the same time, there's a lot of confusion and there's a lot of, um, you know, people are in the dark about what exactly are the treatment options when people are being taken in. I mean, even now we've lost family members, but we don't know what exactly happened. They were taken in from the general ward to the ICU and then the bodies are sent to the crematorium. I mean, we don't even know what if you could shed some light on what are the treatment options, and then there are so many fundraisers happening all over the place, but what are the funds being used for? Is there treatment for this? Well, Kavita, I'm sorry to hear that you lost so many family members. I'll start with you, Prabhatja, in terms of trying to address what Kavita is wondering. Dr. Prabhatja? I'm very sorry uh, that uh, your listener has to endure such such hardship uh, and particularly from uh, a distance 
uh, it's very unfortunate. Uh, we have to remember that a lot of the failings we're seeing here are revealing a chronically underfunded Indian healthcare system. The, the spending on Indian health is only 1% of uh, the GDP. Um, the hospitals just never had the capacity to be able to deal with uh, the surge, even if wise souls in November, December would have said, let's plan for the next wave, which they didn't. There just wasn't the capacity. So what you're seeing is a product of all of that. I do hope going forward, it's a wake-up call that this chronic underinvestment in the healthcare system, which is not just this government, but previous governments have maintained, really needs to be reversed. Otherwise, there's just it, there's a big disconnect between India's aspirations to be a global superpower and uh, the inability to look after basic health of its citizens. Well, this listener writes, given all the people in the U.S. who are declining to get vaccinated, we should be sending those doses to India and other countries that are facing these crises. People need to realize that if we don't help to vaccinate in poorer countries, COVID will come back to haunt us all again. You touched on this earlier, Dr. Jha, but if you could just say a little bit more about why the U.S. is so connected to what happens in India and other places if people are not getting the vaccines that they need. Well, there's three arguments. One is the epidemiological one, which is uh, that if the world doesn't get ahead of the, vac uh, the virus as it mutates, then we will face variants. And so far, we've been lucky that the vaccines do work. They appear to work against most of the variant, including the B1617 variant that's reported in India. Uh, but that luck may not hold because you basically have a breeding ground for more resistant types of, of uh, viruses. Uh, and that would mean the U.S. Uh, protection for vaccination is for naught eventually. So you need a global solution. That's the epidemiological argument. The um, economic argument is very simple, that uh, if we are thinking about any kind of return to normalcy, with international trade or travel or uh, making sure students are able to learn across borders, then pretty much every country would need to be vaccinated. Uh, uh, all, all the adults, at least in all the countries, need to be vaccinated. The political argument is a very simple one, that if we think about how do we shape a world where um, we have global cooperation, be it on climate change or all sorts of areas. This is where U.S. leadership comes, uh, comes uh, through. But I think the most important argument is a moral one. Can we imagine a world where we, in North America, in Canada, in the U.S., say we're fine, we're all vaccinated, and we close the border uh, in our physically and in our minds to Mexico, to our friends in Europe, India, uh, all sorts of other places. I mean, that's just an unimaginable world, but that's very much the default path we're going on unless there is really bold action. So this is where I'm hoping the U.S. leadership, as it did in World War II and in many areas, does step up and take the steps that are needed to produce a vaccine for the whole world. Well, Amy writes, I'm wondering about aid to India. We've heard the circumstances are dire for more than a week now. I've heard about shipments to India. Are any countries flying supplies in? Wouldn't this get the aid 
to where it needs to be most quickly. It seems to be a lot of supplies could be packed into jets. Also, what countries are helping. I know you touched on some of this. I just I will just say quickly that the Biden administration has announced that the U.S. would send a $100 million aid package to India, including testing kits, ventilators, oxygen cylinders, and PPE, and has tried to remove restrictions on exporting the raw materials for manufacturing vaccines, and that Germany, the U.K., uh, has also been providing some level of aid. Um, I do, and, and you did, Hari Kumar, just talk about just the hurdles of trying to get those shipments to the places where they're needed most within the country. We just have a minute or so left, but there is a saying, especially in public media, that you look for the helpers. And I just am wondering, Hari Kumar, if you could leave us with any stories that have heartened you that you have seen among the Indian public coming to the aid of each other. A lot of people are helping uh, each other people. I mean, there are people, those who are providing uh, oxygen to the people, people, those who are providing food, people helping people in getting bad and uh, helping getting them in oxygen. There are many people, those who came forward and providing free oxygen and they are filling up their cylinders free of cost. Some people have come forward and they are organizing medicines and giving people free medicines to the people. So it's not the case that everything is negative. I mean, there are, there are, there are people and those who are uh, really coming forward to helping the people but then there's that help is at a very micro level considering the scale of the population in india considering the scale of the epidemic that help is very microscopic but yes there are green shoots and there is a ray of hope and now india is trying to put their act together as far as oxygen and beds are concerned i think within within seven to ten days they'll be settled about the oxygen and then probably probably the things will be in little bit good shape but still vaccination program is lagging behind and that is a big cause of worry in just a word or two, Dr. Ja, what do you think the next two weeks are going to look like? Unfortunately, very difficult. Um, we hope that some of the news about the deaths attenuating in Bombay and Delhi um, are a bellwether that eventually there's a break um, on the transmission. But the next two weeks are absolutely difficult. Dr. Prabhatja, Hari Kumar, thank you both so much for talking with us. I hope the same as well, and we will keep our eye on it. This is Forum. Another segment is next. Stay with us. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary all over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. 
Soul to Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Soul to Story are available now.